Welcome to the Data Trends Podcast, where we talk with leaders across the data community and uncover where data is taking us. This podcast is for any data expert, whether you're a CDO or kickstarting your career. Make sure you tune in and enjoy the episode. Don't forget, hit like and subscribe, and please comment to add your views. The Data Trends Podcast is brought to you by Jacob Ross Talent. So sit back and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of uh, Data Trends. It's Friday. The sun is shining in Manchester, believe it or not. <laughs> Makes a change. The candidate market at the moment within data and BI analytics is you know, full throttle, no slowing down whatsoever. A lot of opportunities at the moment I'm working on across the consultancy world, the in-house data and BI teams, I call them, and also the software vendors, both on contract and firm, all different levels from enterprise right down to kind of the entering the junior level. So hit me up if you are interested in looking for any opportunity right now. And that's the end of my plug. I'm sure you'll be pleased with that. But, uh, but today, I'm really delighted to have on the show Samir Sharma. So uh, Samir is someone I know in the market, someone I admire a hell of a lot. We speak regularly, and he provides me with a lot of useful insight into the data and BI and analytics space right now. I know he's got some interesting views, right, which I, I think would be interesting to our audience. So uh, I'm, uh, yeah, really pleased to have you on board. So um, without further ado, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll I'll let you do a bit of an intro. And yeah, we'll, sure. Uh, kick off from there. Sure. Yeah. Well, look, Ryan, a very kind introduction, and um, it's great to be here on your show today. So uh, it sounds like it's a very exciting time for you and that the market sounds, um, you know, like it's it's certainly bouncing back with that introduction. So a little bit about me for, for those people who don't know me. My name is Samir Sharma. I am the CEO of a company called DataZoom. It was established about nine years ago. And I, I spun the company up basically because I, I realized there was a bit of a gap within the whole data space, in particular around data strategy. And my view back then when I, when I first started looking at this space was that everybody was fronting their efforts within data and um, BI more so back then, l- less of analytics, uh, you know, about nine, 10 years ago. They were more focused on, on very rigid uh, BI platforms and technology. And there were a lot of uh, people that I was speaking to who weren't really just getting the value out of the tools that they had invested in. So from my perspective, it was very interesting to, um, I actually led off as a, um, as a product company, but that didn't work. It just wasn't me. I, I, I wasn't going to be uh, flogging a, a product. And I then soon came back to, to realizing that my forte was, was more in the, in the consulting in the consultancy and strategy space. So, you know, that, that, that's been a place where I've been, you know, throughout my career. So that's, that's a little bit. Thank you. Me. Yeah, I know. So I know your, your career spans several countries by the looks of it. So not just UK, but see Paris. Oh York. yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, yeah. I've, I've been lucky enough. So I, I, I wouldn't say I've had the the most linear career in data. I've had a very, very different path. So, you know, early on in the days of, you know, graduating from university, sort of scratching my head and thinking, what am I going to be doing? Um, did a, a, a thesis in information warfare, ended up working in the defense and aerospace industry, um, spending a couple of years in Paris, and then leading teams around uh, Europe, 
at the same time in in countries like uh, Spain and 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 Holland, and and that was that was really interesting for me. I enjoyed it, and then that turned into a very different type of career afterwards when I I joined a company called Christie's after that three-year stint. And um, that was very different. You know, I I suddenly thrust into the world of industry and there I was working for as a business analyst in, in an environment which hadn't really looked at business optimization or business process re-engineering and so on. So it literally, I was thrown in at the deep end and had to gain a lot of efficiencies within their business. So that, again, was looking at data. It was looking at uh, new technologies. It was trying to understand how we can optimize particular processes. So that was really my first foray into, into the, the types of work that I do now, but, but into really understanding how you can make businesses more effective with data. And through that, running the customer relationship teams and then implementing uh, CRM systems and then driving the notion of data and analytics by, by heading up a, a team globally uh, that, that looked at pure analysis of data. So that was, that was again, that was a, a pretty cool place to be. It was a fascinating business, you know, the world of auctioneering. And I became an auctioneer as well. So that was, that was pretty cool. So I've got this other thing that I can do. Strange um, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, I went into the world of uh, management consulting. I worked for Accenture, government consulting, you know, the, the whole idea of public sector transformation. I then uh, was with Accenture for three years, went on to uh, leading a transformation program for the government of Trinidad and Tobago. So working directly with the prime minister at the time, uh, Patrick Manning, and um, spent uh, a year and a half there. And then Came back to the UK because I lived in the Caribbean, which was, uh, you know, f- for that for that time, which wasn't so bad. <laughs> that was a good gig. Yeah. Um, and, and ended up getting headhunted for a, a firm uh, called Vertex, which really wanted to scale their data and analytics business in the UK. They're a US-centric company. And they were looking for somebody who didn't, who wasn't a, who wasn't a, a technology person, but could do the strategy piece, could work with clients, could be the sort of hybrid, could scale a team, could put together propositions working with different verticals in the, in the business. So really that, that, was, that was pretty cool working with you know, sales guys in, in, in the private, for, for the sort of private sector and then the public sector. And they also had a financial services separate sector as well. So you know, working in those three verticals. Um, and just learning a huge amount about data science and building teams. I mean, that area, offshore, offshore teams, building, you know, developing algorithms for, for banks and working with, um, you know, telcos, working with charities, working with very large retailers. So it gave me a huge blend and a huge view of very different sectors and their challenges in data. And then basically, what you know, that was when, Vertex, they sold the company and I sort of scratched, scratching my head, sitting down one evening, talking with my wife and said, what, what, you know, what the hell do I do now? And she said, well, you know, do you, you really enjoy this stuff? So why didn't you, why didn't you start your own business? So here I am. Data Zoom was born. Data Zoom was born. Yeah. That was 12 years ago. Is that right? 
Yes, that, that was 12 years ago. Yeah. And, and then I had the, the piece where I decided to, to be a product company that didn't work. And, and then I didn't realize how, how difficult it was to, to go out and develop business and uh, the long sales cycles and all this kind yeah. of stuff. I just wasn't used to it. You know, I yeah. wasn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't born from that mold. So I had to relearn. I had to, you know, learn a lot about myself. And, you know, you, when you work in big industries, and for huge companies, you've got everything around you. You know, I was there. I was the head of the uh, business development and, business and and bidding team for the UK government practice at Accenture. So, you know, I used to run the team which would bid into government contracts. But I had a, a marketing engine. We had PR people. We had, you know, people who'd write case studies. We had everything. You know, we had finance guys. And then suddenly it was almost like, well, where is everybody? You know, what's going on? You know, it's, it's, so it's a real stark reality of, of having to do your own thing and, you know, literally a, just rolling up your sleeves. I, mean, I can relate to that as a business owner. Yeah, not having the support, you know, you kind of used to. So uh, you do get sort of thrown in the deep end in certain areas that you perhaps, you, you know, take yourself out of, your, out of your comfort zone. But, you know, yeah, from a personal development point of view, it's really, really helped, I think. So, uh, yes. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, yeah, huge, huge development uh, focus, which is, you know, and always learning, continuously Absolutely. learning. Nothing stops. It's always a new day. You're always having to pivot every, literally every day. So well, it's, um, it's, it's, it's just you got to keep, you know, be on your toes. I think especially, you know, within the data and BI analytics space, you know, that constant, always learning approach is, uh, yeah, seems yeah. To be absolutely vital. So um, absolutely. So. One of the um, is the theme of, of, of the podcast series is all about you know, data trends. So something that you know you and I have talked about over time at various different topics within that. So I'll be quite, I'll be really interested, and, and I'm sure our audience would be, to, to, to touch on that and to talk to you about what data trend, what trends do you see within the data world right now, and why? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a really interesting question, and there's a huge, huge impact, I think, in the whole BI market at the moment. We're seeing a, a real consolidation of BI tools. There's a move uh, with some companies, you know, you've seen the Tableaus who are being bought by, you know, big behemoth companies like Salesforce, SciSense, and a few other, um, I think it was Izenda were, were bought last week or two weeks ago. And I think BI, BI companies are, are starting to realize they need to catch up a little bit with what's happened in terms of the trend around analytics and machine learning and so on. And to be fair, I think the ecosystem of BI has, has, has not really had the impact that it was supposed to have. You know, BI tools, when I remember, you know, nine, 10 years ago, when they came out were, were all the rage, everybody wanted, a, you know, to, to have a dashboard, everybody wanted to see, you know, what was happening within their business. And, I, and you know, they were rolled out, people didn't use them you know, that they weren't actually guiding people through to decision-making. Many departments had various different tools. So th there was no consistency. And then equally, you know, data was exploding. So we had, you know, let's just connect to a transaction system with, by using clicks. So we, we had that. And then we're, we're, we're trying to get stuff into a data warehouse. And, and so we had these sort of hodgepodge of, you know, BI tools and, and infrastructure and so on. I think what's happening now is, People have realized that, that the backward-looking view of, of BI, um, and in most cases, that's what people are doing. They're, they're looking at you know, the, what, what happened yesterday and why did it happen. And, and I think over time, people have realized that 
no one is is really engaging, being influenced by, or being led to a point of yes, I I believe that this tool is valid and absolutely key. You know, I was speaking to a client a couple of weeks ago, and they they they've they've spun up a bunch of dashboards for their business. And I think through the through the pandemic, equally, they were hoping you know that uh, they they roll some out at the beginning of last year, and just as the pandemic hit. They were, they were hoping that people would start to use them in a way that was they, they wouldn't lean on the BI team, the central BI team. They wouldn't be focused on, you know, just a reactive view of reporting and, and, and so on. And so they rolled these dashboards out, gave them to the, the population. And, and, you know, six months later, I asked them, so how's it going? You know, are people using the dashboards? Looked at the metrics. No one was using them. So I think that the trends and, and to get back to your trend, I think analytics is is becoming obviously a a focus point of many organizations. The value from BI hasn't really been tapped into. So they're looking at how can we get value from analytics? How can we start to do more predictive analytics? How can we start to understand what might happen? So, you know, Databricks and, you know, Data Robot and and, and these types of tools are becoming very popular uh, and people are absolutely learning more about them. And I don't, I don't have any partnerships with them. I, I literally just mentioned two. I think what we're seeing, though, is in the analytics space, probably five, six, seven, eight years ago, data science was, the, was at the forefront. You know, it's all about the algorithm. It's all about seeing what we can do to, to understand our customer segmentation, you know, predictive modeling, next best offer, and so on. I think we're seeing that, that trend. And I don't know whether you're seeing that. It'll be interesting for, for, for your opinion. We're seeing that trend reversing so that the, the sexiest job of the 21st century, I don't think is, is, is data science anymore. I think the sexiest job of the 21st century will probably be data engineering because yeah. now it's about, you know, lots of people have done POCs and, you know, uh, pilots and algorithms are sitting in sandboxes. No one's really deploying them. And data scientists weren't, weren't built to do that. So data engineer is, or, or a machine learning engineer, if we're getting down to, you know, really niche type of skills is building that pipeline, making sure the model fits the, the production life cycle, uh, understanding what the model will, you know, ultimately do and, and then building the right data into that and the feature engineering and so on. And those things are very specific to data engineering. And the data scientists should really be at the business end of it, you know, working with the business. What's the problem? What's the challenge? What's the outcome? You know, and understanding those decisions and, and, and how that should be fed into the algorithm. And then, you know, working with others to really tease out how that will get into production, whether it's going to go into an application or is it going to be a, a score output going into some kind of credit scoring, you know, system or yeah. whatever that might be for predictability. Sorry, I think no. that's really interesting about the data science versus data engineering because that's you, you mentioned there that interesting how I might view it from a recruiter's point of view within this space. That's that is such that that is a trend, absolutely without doubt. I'm now seeing data engineering being positioned as a separate role, for want of a better word, you know, in comparison to data science and. Prior to, you know, going back a few years, data, the data science space was the sexy type role in this, this industry. Absolutely. No question oh, about yeah. it. 
I'm yeah. seeing a lot of job specs now, which are data science with a job title, but with a lot of data engineering skill set and responsibilities that these companies are looking for. Mm. So almost to, to me, looks like the, the role's changing. And, and uh, you know, although they still called it a data science, the you know the, the role itself is now they're looking for data engineering engineering qualities. And so, yeah. And there was always, I always found when I spoke to data engineers and data scientists, there was a bit of a rivalry between the two. I just, that's just my perception. That's how I used to view it. Um, one thought that they did something, could add a lot of value in that area, and data scientists would say they, they do this and the other. So I think it's to me, the trend yeah. seems to be that it's, they're, they're coming closer together. I, I think so. I think so. And I think, you know, we didn't really, if you think about the hype, when that article came out, I think it was probably in something like 2005 or 2006, actually, about the, the or, or no, maybe it was much later than that. I can't remember the, the actual seminal article that, that referred to the, you know, the, the sexiest job in, in, in the world. But that hype led to a lot of angst. It led to a lot of issues and challenges within companies. You know, they, they expected this data science to perform magic. They expected the data scientists to do everything, you know, to wrap up the data, do all the cleansing, you know, get it prepared, understand where it was in which systems. So, you know, for some reason, it just became an all-encompassing role. And that took its toll on, on that side of value for the businesses. And I think they didn't see it. And hence, a lot of people got skeptical. And, you know, if you look at some companies in the US, very large companies, they've looked at the value that they might have been getting out of these, these teams of, of data scientists. And they said, actually, we're not really getting, getting the value. So what we're going to do is, you know, should we get rid of our, there's questions about, should we get rid of our analytics teams? You know, because they haven't really been built in the way that responds to our business and they haven't got the organization in situ that, that will help them to, to drive the business challenges and, and really respond to those requirements. And that's an interesting point you make. And this kind of moves on to uh, something that I know you're really passionate about because, you know, I've noticed a number of posts you made and uh, I know you get a lot of engagement on these posts. So, and it's all to do with the data strategy versus technology. So, you know, I've talked about this, but, you know, for the benefit of, of our audience, it really, I think it'd be really interesting to talk about this. And, and you could provide your insight around this. That would, that would be great. Sure. So, look, I, I think the, the realization for me, um, and, and, and it, it was literally in 2014, I, I was um, working uh, with Rollmail. And there, there, was a, there was a large meeting where there were data architects and data analysts and you know, the, the sort of very technical teams on one side of the table. And there were the commercial and, and operational teams on the other. And I, I felt like I was in the middle because what they were talking about was just data. And they, you know, what can we do with this large, vast amount of data? You know, how can we find insight in the data? And I just thought these are the wrong types of questions. We shouldn't be coming at it from that angle. Yes, we're awash with data, I understand. But if we're going to try and find the insights from that data, you know, it's, all, it's almost starting with a, a pool of data and then working your way up to the, the, the action or the decision that you're going to take. So I, I just thought, let's flip that model on its head and let's go with, with what are the strategic objectives of the organization and then start with the action, then start with the decision and then go and find where that data is. So we start to be more optimal. We start to understand what's driving the business, what are the priorities, how are we going to respond to that, and do we have the data to absolutely drive those business outcomes? And if we don't, then we know that we 
get onto the next set of priorities and we can go and either find that data or we can create that data. So I think that was the realization for me that, you know, we were talking about it in the wrong context and we were focusing on the wrong area. So even for a data guy like me, I walk into organizations and will say, I don't want to talk about data. I want to talk about your business challenges. And I want to talk about the opportunities that exist in your business to drive the outcomes and your strategic objectives over a certain period of time. And then we'll see how data can help you. The thing is, there's, there's essentially a number of other details that I would often see. One, that there wasn't necessarily a review or an understanding of the culture of the organization. There wasn't really an understanding of the maturity of the business processes and how those could be looked at and optimized. There, there wasn't this view of how do we actually track data through our business? So what's the journey of data and through a decision-making process? So if you think about that and, and you start to understand the landscape of the business, how is the handoff from one part of the organization to another? What are the triggers needed to make decisions? Most people were just building a BI endpoint. And they weren't infusing those triggers and decisions upstream. It was all downstream on this beautiful dashboard that, in, in fairness to a lot of people, wasn't really being utilized. So actually, I started to think, do we really need to have that endpoint? And do we need to have a better view of what data is needed upfront, upstream, in different decision-making processes in order to impact those people as they're doing their particular job. And so I think that's looking at it through the, the view of a, a process-driven view, a decision-based view, and layering in the data on top of that. And for me, that, that is the, 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 the right way to do these things because businesses aren't built on technology for me. Technology is, is, is an enabler just as data is. And that's why I think for me, those are the important areas that we need to, to look at. So strategy is an important area that I need to understand where the organization is going over a certain period of time, working with the departments to understand what their priorities are, tying those things together and making sure that the handoffs between people or, you know, or systems uh, within the organization lends itself better to you know, integration, lends itself better to breaking down barriers. This is my job, it's not yours. Understanding that data is weaved all the way through the organization. And then you know, the complexities of that are then lesser because you're not just saying, I'm going to take this piece of technology and I'm going to thrust it upon some users and they're going to use it. But it if, if we do it the other way around, it changes the ways of working. This is the cultural, the habits, the rights, the rituals, the stories and the beliefs that we all have within organizations, which are rife, you know, which have been created over time. So strategy is the way that I look at it. Culture is the, the enabler and the building block that helps it thrive. Data and technology are the the sort of, you know, the bits that, as I, as I said earlier, the enablers, but the business processes and the, uh, the business architecture around that is absolutely key. Mm -hmm. So that's why I don't talk about technology as soon as I get in. Yes, I will do things like maturity assessments and the five, the five focal points of maturity assessments for me are strategy, business processes, people and culture. So those are the, that's the triumvirate that I sort of look at. And then the data ecosystem and the technology. So it is that whole ecosystem and understanding that, but the drivers must be the business objectives and where that business is going. I, if you're a technology focused 
you're then just leap being led into a technology world and you're not really matching what's happening with where the business wants to drive mm -hmm. so you, and then you're layering complexity on on top of complexity most organizations right now have got too many tools complex spaghetti junction architecture you know they need to uncomplicate the complicated that they've made and that's where i come in and help them do that um, i'm not saying it's just conceptual you know it's value driven so we're looking at where are those short-term wins where is the good data where's where are some good processes what's this you know how is that linked to the strategic objectives and how can we generate value so i'm i'm not looking at value down the line at 18 months 12 to 18 months i'm looking at value near term two to three months so that's the bit which which helps if you do if you set up the strategy in the right way and then you really focus on that prioritization metrics and the matrix around that, then you can start to get value quickly. Mm. And, and that's where I think a lot of companies who go with technology are actually saying, well, we layered in that technology. Why aren't we getting the returns or why aren't we seeing the value or the insight? You know, and I think that's the bit which is, and I often talk about it, you know, there is a place for technology, but it can't be the only discussion. There needs to be, a lot more based on that and the, the drivers that i see now and you talked about the trends and so on you know a lot of people are now looking at classically going back to the idea of of and i'm and i'm pleased about this you know culture and and change management layering that in thickly not mm. thinking of it as a, as a as a final thought and 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 process interesting i guess a lot of money's been spent on technology where you know, I'm sure some companies have really kind of got to a point where they've they may view it as a bit of a big, big mistake, you know, not getting the buy-in culture like you talked about, you know. So yeah, I, for me, I totally understand the strategy must come first and technology is the end point um, to that. But from my side, you know, I work with a number of data consultancies that have partner status with software vendors mm -hmm. and a large percentage of their projects that they deliver are related to the partners that they have. So often when I'm being asked to find people for their consultancy, they're looking for a particular skill set and a certain technology. And again, going back to the trends topic, you know, that's definitely a trend I'm seeing. So, but it's really, it is, I, I really, I generally find it interesting talking to you about the strategy must come first. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that are, you know, totally with you on that. But I, I still think there's a certain percentage or part of the data community where they are really focused on technologies and, and recruiting and hiring for people that have that, that skill set. I hear what you're saying, and, and I understand that completely. And I think there's a there's a, a lack of understanding probably around why do we need a strategy? Mm. When I think there's another focus here as well, a lot of the data teams and a lot of you know, the, the, they're, they're still trying to grapple with this. They're still trying to get value from data. Companies, there's only a few percent, probably, you know, the, the, the usual companies that we hear about in the press are the only ones who, you know, who are typically doing data properly. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're getting the monetization value out of it. They are driving new behaviors with their staff. They're driving new ways of thinking. They're accelerating their revenues uh, or, or they might be optimi optimizing their processes internally but there are a lot of companies who are still struggling with the idea of how we are we going to get value from data 
and I see it and hear it a lot. You know, mm. I, I exactly what you've said. Mm. I hear it a lot. Well, we're just going to invest in a in a cloud data warehouse, and 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 we're going to get huge benefits from it. But there's lots of different issues and challenges that will come with that. Cloud just doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Cloud needs to be scaled. It's expensive. You need to know where that data is. You know, you can't just dump your data into the cloud and say, "Hey, we're done now." You know, and then put something on top of it. There's a lot of stuff that you need to think about, you know, what, whatever as a service it is. So I think, you know, we, we need to couple the idea that we, yes, we need to have certain tools in place, but we can drive those, that tooling with where we're going. And I often will walk into a lot of companies and say, right, what tools have you invested in? Well, we've got this, we've got that, we've got, you know, X, Y, and Z. I said, great. Do you know, some of those might, might need to go, but, our, our, you know, my data arch architect will speak to me and say, these are really good tools. That's good because we can do this with it. So actually, why not reuse? Why not repurpose? Why not help, you know, establish you've, you've invested in those, in, in those things? So we can reuse some components, but essentially some will have to be chucked out. Are there any, I mean, a, a pretty, Appreciate we just talked about the strategy first versus technology, but are there any technologies that you are particularly passionate about right now in terms of the value that they can bring to organization? I know, I know we're, there's a, uh, we talked about why well, that's not necessarily so as important, but I'm always interested in technology. Well, look, so, I, yeah. I, I understand the question. What I'm passionate about is the business outcome. That's what I'm passionate about. So, for example, a, a large charity we're working with said they want to look at a customer data platform. They're looking at doing a, a POC, and that's great. They want to do that. They want, but they've the idea that you know, just focusing on a piece of technology and saying, oh, but but we need to understand what the the business cases are for, or or, or the use cases that we're going to pump through that. That's good. We need to understand the cost base. We need to understand the kinds of skills we need internally. We need to, we need to understand the mindset changes within the current staffing. And I think there's different questions that come up there that people don't necessarily think about. And so for me, I'm, technologies are, you know, they're, they're, there's loads of them. And we could layer them in. And you know it, that that's that's not the that's not the issue. The issue is, you know, it's it's what do we do fundamentally? That's the issue, and why are we doing it? The purpose. The, the technology is, you know, there. It, it's it's always going to be there. So I I I'm not. I can't say I'm passionate about one thing. I'm passionate about the business outcome and how we arrived at that, and whether that is through a cool algorithm or whether that's through some kind of you know, building pipelines that understands, you know, data lineage or whether it's, you know, getting value, uh, whether it's sending that bit of data to that person who needs it in that decision-making process for, at, the, at the contact center end, um, or whether it's giving them a, a better definition of uh, specific terms that they, that they have to, you know, look at and, and speak to their clients about. That's what I'm more focused on. So the delivery of it can be in any technology. That's why I, I don't, because there are so many technologies yeah, that can do it, yeah. right? So you can yeah, have so. any, you know, you've got GCP, you've got, you know, AWS, you've got Azure, you've got Snowflake, you know, and then next week and the week after you'll have more. 
So, I mean, they're, they're always emerging. So I don't think there's a, there's a lack of technology. I think it's the lack of thinking up front that, that actually is the piece where we need to focus on. And that's why I'm so passionate about that, because those business outcomes and that value is what people want, mm. and they're not getting it. And that's interesting. And so if, and this goes to something that I'm really passionate about, and that's inspiring the next generation of data professionals. So, and you talked about the things that you think are really important, but what advice perhaps would you give somebody now starting out their career within data? Sure. Dependent what, on what they want to do. I think it's, you know, learn if they want to be a technology person, they want to be a, you know, a data scientist or a data engineer or a data analyst or, you know, go out, learn SQL as a base. If you don't know SQL, that those are the foundational elements. People were saying many, many years ago, SQL will never, will, will die. But it's not. It's the, it's, it's the mainstay. It's the application that most people use. So fundamentally learn that. Learn about data warehouses. Really learn about the evolution of the data warehouse and where we are now. Learn about the cloud. But equally, those are technical things that people can go and train and get to uh, grips with you know, through a training program and get a certificate. So I think those are things that you can do. What, you, what I think people find more challenging is, you know, elements of design, for example, like design thinking. I, I use a lot of canvases in the way that we operate with our clients. So, you know, how do we start to build the bridge between technology and business people? And we, we've, we've put together a number of canvases that speak both language. So it's understanding language, understanding the, the, the business more so. So when, if you're a data analyst, don't just go for the technology. Go in and really understand the business. Sit with your counterparts. Get to know what their, what their challenges are. I know companies that when we work with them will say, well, why don't you just put the, the data analysts, sit, let them sit with the business for, for three months. Get them, get them understanding the business in a, in a more vital way than being at, you know, in, in, this cent, in, in this core center of excellence. Have them more distributed out into the business areas. Equally, the data scientists. So I think it's more the soft skills, you know, Getting to understand what is it that the business actually wants to do, getting requirements out of them, understanding how to document that, really driving out design thinking around the, the end point of what they're looking at, but you know, put, that, put the decision-making capabilities into that. Why do I talk about decisions all the time and actions is because that's what the end user will be doing. They'll be taking an action or making a decision. They're not worried about a piece of code their fundamental view is to drive their business department and the data teams need to facilitate that. They don't care about whether it's in a cloud data store or whether it's, you know, using R or Python or, you know, whatever random forest or, or, or K-means classification algorithm. It doesn't matter. To them, they need to know, am I going to get my output and am I going to be able to make that decision and am I going to be able to drive my, my business and, and reach that revenue target or those goals or those objectives that, I've, that have been laid out by my CEO uh, and, and that I've got those you know, on my shoulders and I've got to deliver? That's what the, the key point is. I think the soft so skills there. Knowing is, that. Sorry, yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right. In terms of, you mentioned the softer skills. I think that's something I talk to candidates that I speak to, you know, particularly at that entry, mid-level, that the clients that are coming to me are not only asking for 
their technical expertise, but they really do often look for that more consultative approach. And that could not that not necessarily working within a consultancy, but also in-house because you talked about getting buy-in, culture change, you know, someone that has those soft skills alongside the technical side really does make you stand out as a solid data professional at the moment, in my opinion. And, um, and you've, you've got to have that rounded ability. And, mm-hmm. and, and those kind of things can be taught to us. You know, they can be taught, but you've got to do them through your own experiences of high emotional intelligence. You know, technical people don't necessarily, not all technical people, you know, are, not, I'm not saying that not all, you know, not all of them are emotionally intelligent, but there's a, you know, there, you see it, there is a lack of it. So how do you drive that? How do you get them to see a different view? And I, I think that's important because we've got to understand that the, the, the technology skills we can learn, but, you know, they can programming. I mean, I used to program, you know, I've, I've done some programming in the past, but if I didn't really have that ability to, to get under this, of what people are doing and, 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 you know, stand in their shoes and really empathize with them and, and, and be able to build that, that rapport uh, and, and understand their processes and, and, and the culture of their way of working. If I didn't know that, I wouldn't be able to help them properly. Then that's the point of impact that you make. Yeah. And I think that's where people need to think about. And, you know, it, it's, yeah, I think, you know, that's the success that they can have when they get into organizations. Right. And something else I'd like to touch on with you, and I think you and I are both really, really passionate about this subject, and that is unconscious bias. So I know you've published some posts about this recently, and as have I, and it's something that I, I would like to talk to you about mm-hmm. from a hiring perspective right now. So I conducted a poll on LinkedIn a few weeks ago, which asked a question around, I'm seeing a trend with more mm-hmm. pictures on CVs currently in the right. UK. Yep. And I asked the question, is this appropriate or is this not? So I know in other countries, this is more the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here in the UK, that I haven't really seen that up until I'd say the last twelve to eighteen months, where I'm seeing lots more pictures on CV. So, interestingly, the results of that poll: eighty-two percent felt that it wasn't appropriate to include a CV on a, a picture on on a CV. For and the number of the comments that were generated off the back of that poll, lots of hiring managers were talking about the unconscious bias that can cause so i'd like yeah interesting to talk to you about what you think around this because i know you're you're interested in this subject area as well i guess there's there's a number of things there the 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 idea that you know we put a picture where you know we live in this more so virtual world now where you don't necessarily, you know, it's very Zoom related. You know, we're just coming out of this this whole pandemic, and 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 it's been very virtual, and and I'm, and it will continue to be, you know, very virtual in that sense as well. So the idea of being able to put a picture on your CV, I guess, for some people, just you know, gives them a a, a more personable yeah. relationship with the recruiter, perhaps. But there's two things here: is the recruiter eyeballing the CV, or is it a algorithm that's looking at the CV? 
And I think that's the difference that we're talking about. The 82% is really interesting. And I'd like to, uh, it would be interesting to hear the, the comments that came out from the, the, the groups of people around why they didn't think it was appropriate. And, and again, it could be human bias. So that, that's one area. Sorry, you were going to say something. Yeah, I think just on the, on the comments, so, um, and this is for our audience as well, some of the comments that were coming back were around the someone views a picture on a CV and consciously or unconsciously, that can play a part in the selection process around do we take this person through to interview or do we not? Now, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying this is a, it's a big, big issue right now, but it's just diversity inclusion is high on a number. Well, it, it's such a big topic right now, mm -hmm. data mm -hmm. within the hiring community. And thinking about that and then talking about, you know, the, the unconscious bias that perhaps might go on, I, yeah, I wonder whether the picture is the best idea because... In my opinion, you should be hiring based on skill set and how good that person is for the role. And nothing else should matter, you know, race, religion, anything to do with that. But I just But we do we, we but there are those those biases and and I, I don't think it's unconscious bias then. I think it's conscious bias. So yeah. I, I don't particularly think that that's the the excuse that, that can be yeah. made in those cases. And especially if it's a human that's involved in that process, then there is bound to be bias from individuals. We, you know, we, we as human beings will be prone to that, whether it's through historical experiences. And I think, you know, we need to have more diverse teams, as you've talked about, whether that's the case. We need to understand, you know, explicitly how we go through decision-making process as a human being? And can we, can we hold two thoughts in our brains about my conscious bias and, and then the actual, you know, the, the, what my role that I'm going to be supposed to be doing and how I filter those things out. So there's lots of complexity around that as well. And I think then we've got the other side, which is the algorithm side, which, which equally, if we are looking at the idea of pictures on CVs, and if that's going to remain a trend and it's it's going through an automated process what does that mean then how is the the algorithm and the black box how is that fed the training data how much represent representation is there around diversity in that date, particular data set what is the historical context how do we take out a lot of the biases from history because that's what that training data is that training data will be historical data there's nothing about future data. We don't have that yet. So we are going to be training this, this algorithm on historical data, and then it will start to snowball and learn by itself. So I think, you know, we've, we've got to be clear about how we do it. There's going to be biases in each process, both human-related and algorithm-related. And yeah. I think, you know, the, those are the things that we need to think about. There's many examples. You, I'm sure you know uh, equally about the the number of algorithms that are um, the, the famous Amazon example where they were filtering out women and giving jobs to to, to more male applicants. You know, and yeah, I, mean, uh, I don't know whether it's, it's sorry, an interesting trend. Um, is 
but I know I'm aware of a technology company at the moment that are now they're not asking for a candidate's name, let alone a picture. So when they apply for a role, this technology company will receive a CV and the internal recruitment team will go through the profiles and there'll be no names, there'll be no pictures. And they've done that for a reason. And their thinking behind it, which I'm fully, I'm fully behind, is to ensure that there is no unconscious bias or conscious bias going on in terms of the selection process. So I think that's well, really important. But, but that's fine. But then how do you cater for other things in that CV? University, yeah. you know, race, yeah. not, you know, experience. There could be other things that could surface. So it's really understanding what are the metrics that we're looking at within this? How are we going to cater for the collective in this room? And are we, are we diverse enough in this room to be able to even process and understand those those CVs with no names, no name CVs. So there are going to be other complexities. It's not just, uh, yeah, no. we've done it. We've, we've got it now. No. So there's going to be different layers of bias that people won't see until a trend emerges where they'll say, oh my goodness, we are mm. selecting people of this category more than that. Why did that happen? And that's the decision-making process of having, you know, those conversations and, and understanding that human bias, but having that diversity within the room to to counter that yeah and i think that's an emerging reality for most companies yeah. um, and organizations it's it's, it's, and it's not new it's not new either no but i think it's now more front of mind i really do think it's more front of mind I'm speaking to lots of employers that have diversity inclusion policies as front and center in terms of their hiring you know process and, uh, and they'll talk to me about that and what's important to them. So I think it can only be, only be a good thing, you know, it's more. Yeah, yeah. So I think the whole move towards ESG, I think we've, we, we've probably got to look at ESG data. We've got to understand, you know, what is the, the, the data that we're benchmarking against because there isn't really a true set right now. And so I think that whole ESG movement is still emerging as well. And it really is something that whether I hope it doesn't become a tick tick box exercise, and I, and I hope it's more of a, a view that we are taking this seriously, and whether it is uh, through a human process or, a, or an algorithmic process, things are being tackled on a human level and on a on a on a computer level as well. Yeah, um, interesting to see how this plays out. For want of a better phrase, but I think this is. Yeah, something that's not going to go away. It's going to be talked about more and more. So, and it's yeah, because you and I are both passionate about it. So I think yeah, glad we've touched yeah, on. No, it. I, I think there's there's good thing. You know, there, there's AI for for all for for all. They they've got some good projects. You know, we we have to look towards explainable AI if it's if it's the algorithm process. We have to look at running parallel tests with humans and algorithms to understand decision making process in both. How can they be enriched by understanding? human decision-making process versus the, the AI-based decision process. Yeah. So those are really fundamental things that we need to think about. You know, and it's, uh, again, it's, it's, it's a massive field. The ethics behind it are huge as well. There's lots of people talking about it. The, there's a ton of books that will soon be coming out of it. I know a couple of authors who are write, writing about AI ethics. I don't want to name yeah. who they are. But, you know, so, so it's, 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 you know, it's on people's minds, but I think it's still early days as we've seen from many cases, 
across many industries and and just out there in in social media i, I think there's still still a long way to go yeah. there's a long way to go there's no doubt yeah. about that i agree there. Yeah. well i think that wraps up the episode and uh, we've covered a lot there so you know genuinely it's been a pleasure having you on if anyone wants to reach out to you what's the best way of getting in touch so they can get me on linkedin that's a good way I'm very active on LinkedIn and they can uh, absolutely reach me, Samir Sharma. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty easy. You, they can look up the company name, DataZoom, maybe on the podcast, you can put my details so they can find me there. They can get my email address and so on. So, yeah, I mean, th- that's the best area. I'm very active uh, on LinkedIn. So they can excellent. Well, have Thank a good much. rest of your day. And, and uh, you. I'll it's catch been you a pleasure. Soon. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you for tuning in to the Data Trends podcast. Don't forget, hit like and subscribe and add your comments below. The Data Trends podcast is brought to you by Jacob Ross Talent. Get in touch with Ryan Jones if you're looking for a new role or to add talent to your team.